Let's go ahead and take our Bibles again this morning, turn to Esther, and we'll continue in chapter 4 this morning. I hope you've been enjoying this study of Esther as much as I have. It's an amazing book. Of course, I think every Bible in the book's amazing when you sit and study it. But this is the amazing one for today. Last week, we examined Mordecai and the Jews weeping and mourning, mourning about the decree that, that was signed. Remember, King Ahasuerus allowed Haman to use his signet to seal the documents that Haman wrote, declaring that all the Jews must be destroyed. And so Esther gets word that Haman is mourning, and she sends uh, raiment, new, new clothes for him to change, and some wonder, was it because she wanted him personally to be able to come in and talk to her so she could know what's going on? Or was it just the fact that she wanted him comforted? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the fact is, she sent it. And Mordecai would not put off the sackcloth. He refused the change of raiment. And he said, no, I'm going to continue here in mourning. So Esther now inquires, why? And that's where we're going to pick up this morning, as Esther inquires, well, why is he insisting that he needs to continue in this state of mourning? In this passage, though, we see Mordecai and Esther going from weeping to action. There is a time for weeping. We saw that last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God said there is a time and season for everything, which means there's a time then to also take action, is there not? And that's where we see them in Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 5. Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 5. Then Esther called Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai and to the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and make supplication unto him, and make request before him for her people. And Hattach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther spake unto Hattach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to, be, to, to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told it to Mordecai, told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there... An their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast 
ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. There's a lot in this passage. This is an incredible passage. And we're going to look at five points today and perhaps next week, depending on how this goes. <clears throat> but first, we're going to look at the determin determining the record in verses 5 and 6. Determining the record. Secondly, the detailing the reality. Detailing the reality in verses 7 and 8. Then in verses 9 through 11, the third point is denying the request, followed by defending the reason in verses 12 through 14. And then our last point this morning will be defining the resolve, defining the resolve, and that's in verses 15 through 17. Christian, you and I need to determine to do the right thing no matter the cost. Right is always right, wrong is always wrong, and it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. Do right. That could really be the crux of the whole message, but we are going to look at the details this morning, so let's look for guidance, please. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Again, Lord, we pray you guide in this message. Teach us, Lord, to stand for truth no matter what. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I, I call it determining the record in verses 5 and 6. Esther calls this chamberlain and, and says to him, I need you to go to Mordecai and find out what it is and why it is. She wants to know why Mordecai refused to be comforted and why. What is so important, Mordecai, that you refuse this raiment, you refuse to, to get out of the sackcloth and ashes, that you are in such mourning, what is the reason for this? It is possible, because the way the kingdom was set up, it is possible. Maybe she hadn't heard yet. I don't know. Because you would think if she had heard, she would understand why Mordecai is mourning. But it reminds us to get all the facts before passing judgment. James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You see, you need to know why one is weeping in order to weep with them. Because in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, we're commanded to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. But in order to rejoice with one, you need to know, and what are we rejoicing? In order to weep with one, you need to know, and what, are, what, are, what is the matter that we are weeping over. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, she sent to Mordecai to know more particularly and fully what the trouble was which he was now lamenting and why it was that he would not put off his sackcloth to inquire thus after news that we may know the better how to direct our griefs and joys, our prayers and praises well become all that love Zion. If we must weep with those that weep, we must know why they weep. You know, we too often are quick to tell people, oh, just get over it. Oh, I don't know what your problem is. Oh, it's not such a big deal. 
We don't even know why they're upset or why they're weeping, but we're quick to judge and say, just get over it. Just put a smile on your face. Oh, you shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't be discouraged. You shouldn't be this. Well, yeah, you know what? Neither should you, but you get there too. We all do. And maybe instead of being so quick to judge and say, hey, just get over it, why don't we find out what's truly troubling the individual first? And, you know, it's okay to take some time to weep with them, okay? Maybe today you're here and you're not an animal lover and somebody's really upset because they lost their dog or their cat. Dogs I can understand, cats I don't so much. But anyhow, I'm not a cat lover. I'm sorry, you know that. But you know what? I still understand the hurt of losing a pet, okay? And yes, it is an animal. It's not like losing a child. I get it. But, you know, we kind of adopt those animals into our family and make them more like family than we probably should. I did so. We had a dog, too. And, you know, it does hurt when you lose an animal. So instead of, oh, that's all it was? Okay, get over it, which is the way some people treat others, is, you know, have a little compassion because they're hurting you can't change the fact that it hurts them that they lost their animal, right? So, oh, just get over it. It's not going to cut it. Verse 6. So Hattak went forth to Mordecai in the street, the city, which was before the king's gate. Now, in verse 5, it tells us Esther called for him particularly. And I believe because this was in such an important business of the queen, she needed a faithful servant who was going to do it right. And so she sought this guy out. Why? Because he probably had a testimony of being the guy who was, if you got a guy you need to tell something more secretive to, because honestly, this conversation between Mordecai and Esther is not everybody's business. And you need somebody who's going to be faithful and relay exactly what was said and not just tell you the parts that they think you want to hear. You need a faithful servant to do so. And so she calls this particular guy to be the mediator between her and Mordecai. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Are you that faithful servant of the Lord that others can look to? Are you the one that when the boss needs somebody that they can trust to do a particular job, that your name is the first name that comes to mind? Are you the trustworthy servant? When you say you're going to do something, do you get it done unless providentially hindered, or are you one that has every excuse in the book why you couldn't do what you promised to do? Because let me tell you something. You say you're going to do something unless providentially hindered to do it, and you start making a pattern of that, you're not going to be a trustworthy servant. People are going to realize, okay, yeah, you say you're going to do it, but it won't get done. So Esther is determining the record. She wants to know what is going on. What is so bad that Mordecai refuses to be comforted and she waits to get all the details. She goes, I want to know what's going on and why this is happening. And so the servant goes and he gets all the details and he brings it back to her being the trustworthy servant that he is. Which brings us then to point number two, detailing the reality. And Mordecai told him of all that happened unto him. I like that word, all, because he didn't leave out important details. You know, details are important. It's like the guy that told his friend, I stole a rope. And his friend's like, okay, well, that's not so bad. He says, well, the neighbor's cow was attached to the other side of it. 
You kind of left out the details, right? Telling a half-truth is a whole lie. I've heard said, well, I didn't tell them the truth because I was trying to protect them. I didn't tell them the truth because I thought it was what's best for them. Well, who are you to determine when you should tell the truth and when you shouldn't tell the truth? And so Mordecai, when this chamberlain comes to him, he tells him all the details of all that had happened to him. He tells him about the money that Haman is going to pay to the king's treasury to destroy all the Jews. He makes sure all the details are laid out. Unlike King Saul, who was told by Samuel to kill the Amalekites, but he saved all the sheep and he saved the best of the Amalekites. And oh, by the way, King Agag, he kind of saved him too. And so when Samuel comes and says, Saul, you've disobeyed God. Saul's like, I have not. I've killed all the Amalekites. And of course, Samuel, being a, I think Samuel was a typical preacher, had a little bit of a sarcastic side. He's like, so what's the bleeding of the sheep I hear? <laughs> and Saul's like, oh, oh, well, those are for sacrifice to God. Oh, well, how spiritual, Saul? Because God told you to destroy him. So why would God want to sacrifice to something he said to destroy? And of course, Samuel has to take out the sword and kill Agag. But Saul tried telling half-truths, making it sound like he did the whole job, but he didn't do the whole thing. Mordecai explains all the details. Now let me ask a question. This guy that he's explaining all this to, who does he work for? The king. So, obviously, Mordecai, one of two things. Either he's willing to take a chance, because this guy could go directly to the king and say, hey, by the way, Mordecai is complaining about all this, and he could have you know, met the fate early, okay? Because, remember, the king can kind of do whatever he wants. Or he also knew that this was a very trustworthy servant who was going to get that word back to Esther, and I believe it was truly the second. And that's why he didn't leave out any details, because he knew I can trust this guy to get all these details back to Esther. That's a trustworthy servant. That's the type of testimony I want to have. Is it not testimony you want to have? So Mordecai not only presents all the facts, but then he presents documentation for this. And as I read this, I had to stop and think, wait a minute. He has a copy of the decree. Now, they did not have printers like we have. They did not have copiers like we have. They didn't even have Xerox machines. They didn't have the mimeograph machines. Remember, you used to put on the mimeograph on a roller, and then you had to sit there and roll it. If, you, if you're a really good student, you got to sit there and actually roll the thing in school. Anybody old enough to remember those? Come on. All right, good, good. All right. Whew. I'm sorry, young people, ask, ask an older person someday and they'll explain it to you, but you're missing out on all the fun because now all you get to do if you go to the copy room is, yay. <laughs> they didn't have any of that. So, okay, very logical question, very simple question. This is not hard. How did this copy come into existence? Somebody wrote it. Because remember, they made copies to send out to the 127 provinces, to all the governors in all the provinces. Mordecai is holding an co a copy of this decree. How he got it? 
I don't know. You know how I don't know? The Bible didn't say so. It doesn't matter. Somehow he got his hands on a copy of the decree and he tells Haytag, he goes, hey, look, not only am I telling you this, but here's the proof right here is the document. And look, there's the king's signet on the bottom. Now, remember, it wasn't the Hazuerus who actually stamped the thing. It was Haman. And Mordecai, I think, knew this. But it would have had on the bottom of it, right? And he says, this is a copy of it. This is the actual wording of the document. You know, I love when people actually verify things before they spread things. You know, just because you heard it on the internet does not make it true. One of the famous quotes of Abraham Lincoln, right? And everybody laughs because, no, that's stupid. I understand, but this is how people treat the internet. I saw it on Facebook. Oh, well, that made it so true. Yes, I verified it with Wikipedia even. Oh, well, that's so much better. What really even humors me, actually it saddens me, is people will go to these known satire sites that, you know, satire news and whatnot, and then they get all bent out of shape and they're posting on their Facebook saying, I can't believe this actually happened. It's like, well, it actually didn't. That's why it's called a satire site. You know, it's, it's, it was meant to be funny. So go ahead and laugh now and move on. But anyhow. Then here's the greatest part. So he states the truth, states the facts, all the facts. He shows documentation of the facts. And then he even went a step further that most people forget to do. He offered a solution to the problem. See, a lot of people will supposedly have the facts, but they'll never verify the facts. And they're already trying to spout off to everybody, telling everybody how everything's so wrong, blah, 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 blah. Few will actually verify it and see if it's even true. But even fewer, because a lot of times when they verify it, now they're really upset. Now they just want to complain about it. But you know how very few it is that will go to the next step and say, okay, we've identified a problem. We've verified it's a problem. Now here's how to fix the problem. I have found there are very, very, very few people in this world that can offer solutions to problems. And you know why that is? Anybody want to take a guess? Don't have a solution. Why don't we have solutions? I think there's several reasons. One, because we naturally are lazy and we don't want to do the work. Because to come up with a solution means you have to identify, not only identify the problem and verify the problem, but you have to understand the problem and know, know what's going to work to fix it. But also, not beyond the fact that we as human beings are typically very lazy, is the fact that we, many, and unfortunately even among Christendom, don't have discernment to know what is truly right and what's going to work and what doesn't. And true, friends, we need to have true biblical wisdom understanding and discernment to be able to think things through and come to solutions on problems. Now, I'm not saying every problem are we going to automatically have the great solution to it. And, you know, there have been many times as a commissioner that I will try to throw out a solution and then people will put punch holes in that solution. But you know what? At least we had a starting point and then we can work it through from there. 
But if you don't even try to offer a solution. Now, there have been times, and you can ask Brother Ed, because he sat in our trustees meeting where I say, men, here's the problem. I've tried thinking of a solution. I'm totally at a loss. I really need your help. And then we'll all pray about it, and somebody will start maybe throwing something out and see what sticks to the wall, and then eventually we kind of start developing a solution. But that's why also sometimes you got to admit, I don't know, let's go get some counsel elsewhere, right? Like, you know, if it were a, I don't know, something highly, really technical that I have no, no, no knowledge of, well, I'm not going to be able to necessarily come up with a solution, but I need to go to those who know this technical field in order to help figure it out, right? Well, in this case, Haman, with the signature of King Ahasuerus, has signed a decree that all the Jews are to be destroyed. Now, this is now law of the Medes and Persians, and what is unique about the Medes and Persian law? Can't be changed. So, Mordecai knows this, but he also knows that if there is going to be a law written or any way of trying to save the Jews or any way that the Jews would have opportunity to protect themselves, defend themselves, or whatever, it's also going to have to be put in law by the king. So he has to get a way to get back to the king. Oh, my cousin happens to be the queen. That's probably a good door to get to the king. And so he sends back to her and says, you, Esther, are going to have to go before the king. Okay, so he comes up with this plan. He says, he says, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that's given to Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther. So he gives the writing and says, all right, take this to Esther, show it to her, declare it unto her, help her understand this document. First, give her complete understanding of the situation. Then he says, Charge her to go to the king. Charge her that she should go in under the king. Now, that's interesting. Mordecai is giving an order to the queen. He says, through this messenger, he says, I want you to order her. I want you to give her charge that she's to go into the king. Okay, so the servant's coming back saying, your cousin Mordecai wants you to go, is charging you to go before the king. And says, make supplication or seek favor and to make request for the people. You see, you and I should not only discern right from wrong, but we should be able to apply the principles of God's word to get us from the wrong to the right. Hebrews 5.14, but strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, this servant goes before Esther, verse 9, and told her all the words of Mordecai. And let's look at Esther's response in denying the request. Esther spake, verse 10, unto Hattach, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death. Her response was looking at the situation from under the sun. So if you have been in Wednesday nights where we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, again, that phrase under the sun, looking at life without God. And yes, 
Christian, sometimes you and I, unfortunately, when we are put in a situation, start to look at life without God instead of turning to him first as we should. And so before we condemn Esther saying, oh, how dare she say no, how often have you and I been guilty of the very same thing when we're first presented with a problem that she's looking out from under the sun and she sees this situation and says, you know what? Everybody knows this and a fool would say to go before the king unrequested. Everybody in the whole kingdom knows you don't go before him because if you do unrequested and he doesn't raise the golden scepter to you, it's off with your head. But she's not looking at the eternal power of the great I am. So her response was putting personal safety ahead of principle because she was in a position to go to the king and of all people who was most likely to gain favor coming before the king unannounced would be Esther. But her thought was self-preservation over all these people. Now again, before we start condemning Esther, that is our natural human response is self-preservation first. She's not thinking of all the Jews that would die, nor was she thinking that truthfully, either way, I'm in danger. Okay, because the decree says all Jews. She is a Jew. Do you think it would have been found out eventually? Probably. And what would happen? By decree of the king, he would have to kill her. So she's in danger either way. Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes situations like, you know, there is no right answer. (laughs) There's a better answer, perhaps. But, you know, I could be in danger either way here. Now, she didn't recognize that initially. She's thinking, well, I'm the queen, I'm safe, nobody will ever find out. I don't know what's going through her head. But obviously Mordecai recognized this in the response he sends back to her. But we need to remember the words of Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So she says, I haven't been called in 30 days. It would be foolish for me to go. You go tell Mordecai, the answer is no. Okay, this poor guy. I mean, he's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I bet he was thinking, you know, I wish somebody developed or invent a telephone. You know, can I just pause for a minute? Can I ask a question? We got these things which we can talk to each other on. Why does everybody feel we have to text each other? Number one, fat thumbs does not text well. And number two, Texting does not give the inflection of your voice, and everybody misinterprets your text. So why do, we, why do we text? I've even seen people talk to their phone and then hit send. Okay, I got a better idea. Hit call and talk. Weird, try it, it'll work. And if you text me more than twice, you're getting a call back. That is the truth. And everybody here knows it. Anybody who's texted me more than twice knows the next thing you're getting is ringing in your ear. Number four, defending the reason. Thirteen, Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Think not with thyself. Don't think just about you, and don't think that you're safe. And don't be deceived, Esther. You are as in much danger as everybody else. You're not exempt from the results of sin. You see, our own sin has results, does it not? 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sin separates us from God, and every one of us is a hell-deserving sinner because of our sin. But the other sin sometimes affects us, and the law of the Medes and Persians would insist that as soon as she is found out to be a Jew, that she also must be killed. You see, some trust in position to save them. Well, I'll be okay because I'm in this position of authority. And maybe that's partly what's going through her head. I don't know. Maybe, well, I'm, I'm the queen. He wouldn't kill his own queen. Um, right. Study a lot of other kings, like, you know, Henry VIII and some other nice guys throughout history. Some trust in large armies. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, can I put that in modern terms? Some trust in large aircraft and large artillery and large aircraft carriers and think that we have the world's biggest navy, we have the world's biggest army, we have the greatest whatever, you know? Kind of found out this week that our stuff can go missing pretty quick, couldn't it? And get in the wrong hands pretty quick. We don't trust... In the things, we need to put our trust in God. And you can go back again to the founding of this nation and the revolution, well, some call it the Revolutionary War. I like the War of Independence better. But the war against Great Britain to defend our freedom, to to declare our independence from them, there is no way General Washington's army should have defeated the greatest armies of the world at that time. It should not have happened, but God did it. And so what we see here is Mordecai reminding Esther in a gentle way, stop being so selfish, Esther. Think of the bigger picture. You know what we need to stop doing sometimes is being so selfish and look at the bigger picture. Then he says something very interesting. Verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Now, how can he say that with such confidence? There will arise deliverance for the Jews. How can he have such confidence in making that declarative statement? Okay, so he trusts in God, so take that further. God had promised there's going to be a Messiah coming through the line of David. Mordecai... In Mordecai's time, had Messiah come yet? Okay. God said there will be a Messiah coming. He has not come yet. He is supposed to come through the Jews, specifically through the line of David. Therefore, I believe that's part of what gave him confidence to say, God will deliver the Jews. He knew it had to happen. You know why? Because God's prophecy was not yet all fulfilled. By the way, I can still say with confidence that God will deliver the Jews. You know how I can say that? Because the Bible tells us God is not done with Israel yet. There's going to be 144,000 witnesses, and they are not Jehovah's Witnesses. They are 12,000 each. Is 12,000 equal 144,000? Yes. Of each of the 12 tribes, and it's delineated for us in the book of Revelation, it has not happened yet. So I can say with the same confidence that Mordecai said that Israel will not be destroyed. Right? Is that fair? Because the promises are not yet fulfilled. Right? Okay. So he can say with confidence, there will come a deliverer. 
But if you don't take a stand, you and your household will certainly be destroyed. But God's will will still be accomplished. And perhaps, Esther, God has brought you to this point for this very reason. Now I want you to think back. Queen Vashti refuses to come before Ahasuerus. He has to divorce her. And so his advisors come up with a plan for a new queen. And they basically kidnap all these young girls and bring them into a house. They go through the purification process and they one by one go to the king and he determines whether he wants her as queen or not. And if not, she's taken to a second house to be there forever unless called upon by the king by name, basically slaves to the king the rest of their life. Okay? She has gone through this process. She was selected to be the queen for a pagan king. We're not talking a king of Israel or king of Judah. Not that Israel had good kings, but Judah did have some good kings. We're not talking a godly king. We're talking a wicked, vile king. She will forever be in this position. And Mordecai is saying, all that may have happened to you, Esther, for this one very thing. When we are going through the trials of life, when we're going through struggles in life, we need to realize God has a plan still. And he's preparing us for whatever that may be. I don't know what the future holds, but God does. But he says, I, you might have been placed here for such a time as this. Don't miss opportunities that God has given you. We see now that God did plan for her to be used to deliver the Jews, but she didn't see that at her time. But she needed the same confidence that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3, 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship thy, the golden image with that which thou hast set up. You see, when they refuse to bow before the golden image, and King Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and brings them up and says, All right, boys, I'm going to give you another chance. They say, Look, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we understand, we understand the consequences, king. And God is able to deliver us. But if he chooses not to, it doesn't really matter. We're still going to follow him. Now, did they know that as soon as they were thrown into the fire, that instead of being a fire that would consume them, it would be a fire that would free them from the bonds that they were in, and the Son of God would be walking around in the fire with them? Did they know that ahead of time? No, they did not. But they made a determination beforehand, it doesn't matter, I'm going to do what is right anyhow. What Esther needed was a little boost of confidence and I'm thankful God placed Mordecai there to be able to do so. He knew how to gently entreat Esther to say, Esther, perhaps God has placed you here for such a time as this. Esther, stand with confidence. Do the right thing, no matter what it might cost yourself. You're in danger anyhow, Esther. Either way, you might as well take a stand, and perhaps God can use you to be the one to deliver. Christian, you and I sometimes need a little confidence. Maybe... You 
met somebody, may come across somebody who's a little discouraged in the Christian life, and they just need you to help give them that confidence. Instead of dragging them down, discouraging them, saying, oh, well, just get over it. Maybe they need that little boost of confidence. Say, remember, God is still in control. God wants to use you, and perhaps this is exactly what God has for you to do. I'll pray with you on that matter. And encourage them to do so. Encourage others to take a stand. But in order to be able to encourage others to take a stand, we have to be willing to take a stand. Now remember, this is the same Mordecai who just a few chapters later was telling Esther, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. But now when the rubber hits the road, when it matters, he's declaring, no, I am one of those people. And this is wrong. And we need to take a stand against it. Folks, we need to take a stand against some of the things that are happening in our world today. Now, our neighbors to the north, I have seen some video clips of some pastors who have been arrested for simply having church services. Folks, I thank God that those men are willing to do right no matter what. But let me ask a question. Are we willing to do right no matter what? Are we willing to take that stand and say, you know what, government... We respect your position. We respect your authority, but you have overstepped your bounds. You have crossed the line that God has established, and we are to obey God rather than men. When you cross your line, we're going to meet anyhow, which I'm glad we don't have that problem right now here, but what if we did? Are we going to do it? God has made you for this time, and I'll be honest with you. These are exciting times in which we live. We see things happening that generations prior to us had no clue how they would happen, and now they're right before our very eyes. You know, you ever wonder, how did your grandparents or your great-grandparents, when they read the passage about the two witnesses being killed and the whole world seeing it, did you, did you think they ever wondered, how is that possible? We don't have to think about that today with the technology we have, do we? We could go on and on. We're going to have to stop. We'll come back to this next week. But Christian, it's important for us to realize, take a stand for what is right, no matter what. Because right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. I need to take a stand for God. I need to take a stand for what is right. And it doesn't matter if you're standing alone. Look throughout history. How many stood alone? But if you're on, God, if you're on the side that God wants you to be on, it doesn't matter if you're alone because... You may look like you're alone, but you're not because you're on God's side. So let's close with a word of prayer.